0: Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. All right, so uh, Acts chapter 9. Of course, last week we looked at the beginning of Acts chapter 9, the conversion of the Apostle Paul. And then at the end of Acts chapter 9, we really see Paul's entrance into the ministry. And several years ago, I read a book uh, called The Insanity of God. Uh, It's a wonderful book. It's it's written under a pseudonym because the guy who wrote it is a missionary to a very difficult nation. And so he's trying to protect himself and other believers there. But it's about when he, he first graduated Bible college, got out of the seminary, and surrendered his life to the mission field. And he surrendered to the nation of Somalia in 1992. It was right after a devastating civil war had destroyed that country had rocked that country they were in the middle of a of a drought so it was a a very des- this horrible place to to go to at that time because it was full of of disease it was full of hunger they were having a lot of trouble finding water since it had been destroyed by a civil war there was just a lot of death everywhere as a matter of fact He said the first night he got there, it took him five hours to drive one mile to his secure location they were going to keep him at because it was so unsafe in the area. And he said on the way he saw little boys and little girls running around with with guns, with AK-47s. He saw uh, minefields roped off where people were going to and being blown up every single day because they weren't listening to the signs. He saw men and women digging through trash just to find some semblance of food. The buildings were destroyed. And he gets there, and he gets to this place, and he meets with the other Uh, people that are there who are actually leaving so he's kind of he's come to this place he's a brand new out of Bible college he meets these people who they're leaving and they can't come under the guise of starting a church they had to come as like they worked with orphanages and they get there and these people tell him in Somalia right now less than one percent of the population are believers in the town that we are in it's even less than that. And so this, this guy, he sits, he, he says goodbye to them. They leave, and he kind of gets familiar with everything. And he says the first night he's there, he's laying in bed, which is not much of a bed. It's like a little pallet on the ground. And he's looking at the, scu- at the stars because his roof has been blown up. And he prays to God. He says, God, why did you bring me here? This doesn't make any sense to me. There's there's no believers here. There's no churches here. There's no pastors here. There's no deacons here. There's no elders here. There's no Sunday school teachers here. There's no Bible studies here. He says, there is nothing here that I recognize. There's nothing that I know how to do here. I'm lost. Got it. It makes no sense what you're doing here. I don't understand. Now, as a pastor, I felt that way. Now, I've not been in his situation, you know, in a a foreign, devastated land with no friends, no family, no support system. But there are times in the ministry I've had to go to God and say, God, what are you doing doesn't make any sense to me. You know, and every serious Christian that I know has struggled at some point in their walk with God with that question. When they look at their life, they look at the situation they're facing, they look at the, what they're enduring or what they're going through or what they're called to do, and they say, God, I just, I don't know what you're doing here doesn't make any sense to me. Why am I going through what I'm going through? You know, sometimes it appears as if God is absent. Anyone ever felt like God's not there? Uh, Not many, not enough of you, which means you're not walking with God enough. Because if you walk with God enough, you're going to have times you feel like he ain't there. Look, I've told you all before, I've been very open. There have been times as a pastor that i struggled with with the existence of god now my like, god i don't even know if you exist because if you did why would this be happening why would you allow this and there are times i've just i've struggled in my walk with god where it seems like god is is not around and it leaves you confused it leaves you doubting things There are things that happened in the Apostle Paul's life right after his conversion that left him asking those questions. God, you brought me here. God, you, you came to me on the road to Damascus. I was, I was fine living my life like I was living, persecuting the church. I was getting famous. I was, I was making money. I had power. I had authority. I had money. I was doing great. You're the one that came to me and knocked me off my donkey, blinded me for three days, and called me to the ministry. So you did this. Why am I going through these things? And we know that because in 1 Timothy 16, Paul talks about his calling. He talks about how confusing it was. But he also says that the things he went through in his calling from God is a pattern for all of us. That means the story of the Apostle Paul's calling from God, his entrance into the ministry, it it means something for us today. His story helps us make sense of our story. Now, remember, we saw last week where Paul is on the road to Damascus, he gets knocked off, light comes, blinds him, he's three days gone. And God comes to Ananias. And Ananias, again, he's a believer in Damascus. Uh, He was not an apostle. He was not what we consider a church leader. He was just a disciple of Christ. He was a layman in the church. And God comes to him and says, Hey, I want you to go down and visit this guy, Saul of Tarshish. Ananias knew who he was. He says, that guy's a... He's a a terrorist of the church. He has dedicated his life to destroying the church. Send somebody else. But God talks to Ananias, and Ananias agrees and goes down to talk to Saul. But look what he tells him about the Apostle Paul in verse number 15. He says, But the Lord said to him, Go thy way, for he, talking about Paul, who is right now Saul, for he... Is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now, when you put those two verses together, you're like, okay, God, what are you talking about? First, he's a chosen vessel. He's going to go to the Gentiles, he's going to go to kings. He's going to go to the children of Israel. That's, that's everybody. Basically, God is saying, I'm going, to use the, I'm going to use Saul to get the gospel to everybody. To Gentiles, which, that's us, by the way. Everyone here, unless you're you know, 100% Jew, you're a Gentile. So that's us. He's going to take it to kings. And now kings, it wasn't literal kings. It was people of authority, people of power. He's going to take it to the children of Israel. So he says, I'm going to, I have chosen Saul to get the gospel to everybody. And I'm going to show him how he's going to suffer. He's chosen and he's going to suffer. It doesn't seem to go hand in hand. I'm going to use you. I have chosen you, Paul, to get the gospel to the world, but it's going to hurt. Not a calling, most people feel led to going. See, we view suffering in our life as something that we, we go through because the enemy is attacking us. You know, I've known people. they go through, well, the enemy's attacking, and sometimes sometimes that is true. I think of Job. Job suffered incredibly because God made a bet with the devil. I mean, if I'm Job, I'm a little mad by now, but I'm in heaven, so who cares? You know, it's water under the bridge, and I'm in paradise now, so I'll I'll forgive you, God. But he suffered because the enemy was allowed to make him suffer. Lost his children, lost his money, lost his health. His wife came up to him and said, why don't you just curse God? Now he lost his wife. He lost everything because the enemy attacked. Sometimes that's why we suffer. Sometimes we look at, at, at suffering as you know, God punishing us for some wrongdoing we've done. Now, and I've explained this numerous times, if you are saved through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross. Jesus absorbed all the punishment for your sin. So when, and look, we are going to sin. That's why I like the Apostle Paul I like him and David because, you know, we look at Paul and Paul seems like this great, you know, wonderful Christian. He, he was used to write over half the New Testament. He got the gospel to most of the known world. So, yes, he is a great Christian. But he's also the guy that says, hey, you know who the biggest sinner in the world is? I am. And God made him write that in the eternal word of God. I mean, imagine, God's using you to write the Bible and the Holy Spirit comes to you and says, hey, Paul, tell everybody how bad you are. But Paul did it. So Paul's like, I'm a huge sinner. Things I know to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, I do. And so Paul was a huge sinner. And so, yes, we are going to sin after salvation. But when we sin, we don't face punishment from God. God does discipline us through conviction of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we we suffer things when we sin because sins have consequences. Actions have consequences, no matter who you are, no matter what you do. You speed down I eighty one. Now, granted, to speed on eighty one, you're going to have to go 125 miles an hour because everyone else is going ridiculously fast. But you you speed on I eighty one and you get pulled over. You're not being punished because you sped. You're not being su- you know you're not suffering of the devil because you sped. That's that's just a result of your speeding. You get a ticket. That's sin has its consequences. Actions have consequences. But we tend to view suffering as either judgment from God, or attack of the enemy. Now, the next ten verses, we see Saul suffer. He faces opposition, he faces hardship, and it's it's a pattern for the life that we're going to live. Look, there is hope in what God is doing in your life. There is hope you have in... You are suffering in your opposition. And hope is the most powerful force in the world. Look, there was a, a study done several years ago uh, at a university. They were doing a scientific study, and they were looking at really what the effects of hope was. So they, they got a bunch of rats, and it, it's not the most humane study, but they took a bunch of rats, and first bunch of them they just threw into a, a pool of water, and left them there to see how long they would last, and those rats could swim around for about 10 minutes before they got exhausted, they gave up, and they drowned. So, 10 minutes of treading water, and then rats, they lose hope and they drown. Then they took another group and they threw them in the pool, but this time, they took them out three to four times, during that first 10-minute interval. So they leave them in there for a few minutes, they take them out for a while, put them back for another couple of minutes, take, and so they, they took them out three to four times during that first initial 10-minute period, and they found that the, the rats that they took out a couple times during the first 10 minutes, they could swim for 60 hours. Because at the very beginning, they got hope. They got hope that the end was coming, that they'd be saved. And so hope is what gave them the ability to go for so long. So God gives us hope when it feels like we're drowning in life. So look at Acts chapter 9. Look at starting verse number 19. <coughs> it says, And when he, had received, when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was saw certain days with the disciples, which are at Damascus, and straightway... He preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem and came hither uh, for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But there, laying a weight was known of Saul, and he watched at the gates day and night to kill him. And the disciples took him by night and let him down uh, by the wall in a basket. And, uh, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he answered, uh, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So this story here, we're going to look a little bit further in, in, throughout the rest of the, the chapter. But this story, it, it shows us some problems that Saul faced or that Paul faced, but it also gives us incredible hope. And here's here's what so we're gonna go through the things Paul faced. Number one, Paul was chosen, but Paul was also opposed. Paul was a chosen vessel of God, and Paul was opposed by the world. He was chosen by God. To share the gospel, and people rejected his message. First of all, they didn't believe his motives, so they tried to kill him. And look, I understand why they believe that Damascus doubted Paul, that doubted Saul. I mean, here he is, he came to Damascus with letters from the high priest so that he could you know, arrest them and throw them in prison and, and deal harshly with them. And now all of a sudden he's showing up going, hey guys, I believe Jesus too. Let's all be friends. I understand they're, they're kind of doubt there. They're like, well, I don't, I don't know if we, we trust what he's doing. So they didn't believe his motives, so they tried to kill him. Now, Paul expected people to listen to him because the disciples weren't the ones who tried to kill him. The Jews at Damascus were the ones who tried to kill him. Because Paul, once he is saved and he's, he's called by God, he doesn't go to the Christian church to preach. He goes to the synagogues. He goes to his old friends. He goes to the people that used to criticize Christ with him, And so the heaviest criticism he gets comes from the religious Jews. Those that were friends with him before, those that should have believed him and should have listened to him, they should understand what he's going through. And he was hoping to show them the truth of the gospel, but they rejected him. Even other believers rejected Paul. Look at verse 26 again. It says, <clears throat> nope, I turned it over. Verse 26, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed or he, he tried, to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. So again, they're afraid. They doubt him. Here's the thing. If you are trying and dedicated to spread the word of God, to share the gospel, people are going to criticize you. People are going to belittle you. They're going to speak evil of your motives. Let's keep going. Look at verse number 27. If I can... I've got to put baby powder on my Bible here. All right, 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord uh, in the way, and he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. So Paul continues to preach boldly no matter what opposition he faces. No matter what he's, no matter what, what oppo- if it's the disciples that are scared of him and not really letting him in to trust him, if it's the Jews who are trying to kill him, if it's the Grecians who are, who are angry at him for him, basically turning his back on them, and so they're trying to kill him, no matter who is opposing Paul, Paul continued to preach Christ boldly. And look, if he hadn't, we wouldn't be reading about him right now. We wouldn't have been reading about, his, about how God used him. So here's what, what we're asking here Who is depending on you to be bold in your preaching of the gospel? Who is God placed in your life that right now they may be opposing you? Right now, they may be rejecting what you're saying. But God has put you there for you to continue to preach boldly to them so that eventually they'll understand the gospel and be saved. In 1999, uh, Joy Vernon uh, took a trip with her husband and her three children. And they were in Colorado, and on their trip, they, they stopped at this overlook. And they were looking at, you know, these great, beautiful vistas and this overlook. And so when they were done, the the three children got in the car and and shut the doors, getting ready for parents to come in. But when they got in the car and shut the door, uh, they accidentally locked all the doors and the keys were in the car. And they accidentally knocked the car out out of park and took the emergency brake off or whatever. But they did something that the car began to roll straight towards a 450 foot cliff. No guardrail, nothing. So these kids are trapped in this car and they're going to die unless somebody does something. See so you know what Joy Vernon does? She runs and she grabs onto the back of the car to try to keep it from rolling. Now it's a huge SUV. She's unable to do it. So she runs around to the front and tries to stop it, but it's still she can't stop it. It's still slowly moving. So she does the only thing she knows to do. She lays down and allows the car to wedge the tires against her, and she uses her body to stop the car. Her husband's finally able to get in the car, put it back in park or put the emergency brake on and get the keys and get the kids out, and they call an ambulance. And Joy Vernon, because of the injuries she sustained, she was paralyzed from her waist down for the rest of her life. But her kids were alive. Because she was bold enough to do whatever was necessary to get the gospel, or not to get the gospel, to save her children. So we need to be bold enough to do whatever's necessary to get the gospel to those who are lost. See, it's all about eternity. It's worth being mocked a little bit now for eternity, for someone else later. So Paul was chosen, but he was oppressed. Paul was chosen, number two, but he was also unprepared. Look, when you're reading these verses, it seems like it's just one thing right after the other. Paul's saved, he starts preaching, he escapes Damascus, he goes to Jerusalem, and it's it's like a week's time has gone by. But a lot of time has passed between verse between these verses in verse 23 the bible says it was many days before the jews tried to kill him you know how many days are in that many days phrase 3 years worth of days now granted that's a lot of days so we can probably say that that is many days now how do we know that because paul tells us in galatians galatians 1 Paul says, but when it please God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with the flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which are apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. Three years since Paul is saved and before he meets the first. Apostle. What was he doing during that time? Well, he went to First Baptist College of Jerusalem. No. He was spending time with Jesus. He was worshiping his Savior. He was bringing Jews to Jesus one by one. And after three years, he is introduced to the pastor at Jerusalem. He's with Peter, and he's only there for 15 days. And then he leaves... And the next time he comes back, the next time we see him in Scripture, it's 14 years later. How do we know that? Galatians chapter 2. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. And so, again, we're going to see in, in a couple more chapters, Paul shows up with Barnabas and goes on his first missionary journey. But it's not right away, it is 14 years from what we're reading about right here in Acts chapter 9. During those 14 years, Paul had visions where God clarified his calling on his life. He gave him insights into Jesus and his relationship with Jesus, but he did something else to prepare him. He was persecuted a lot during those first 17 years. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, Of the Jews, five times I received stripes, uh, 40 stripes save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've been in the deep. Now look, if, if, you're, if I'm shipwrecked once Maybe that's a fluke. If I'm shipwrecked twice, okay, that's God telling me to stay off the water. I'm not getting on a boat a third time. But Paul, three times he's shipwrecked. Five times he's beaten by the Jews. That, that 40 stripes saved one. Yeah, that was the scourging that they would go through. Not the scourging, but the whipping that they gave Jesus before the scourging. They only gave you 39 because they were afraid if they gave you too many, you would die. So, three ta- five times he's beaten. He's stoned. And look, During that day, because remember, uh, Stephen was stoned. During that time, they didn't just chuck rocks at you. They would throw huge rocks on you until they thought you were dead. So Paul is beaten so severely with rocks, they think he's dead. He's shipwrecked three times. And journeyings often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen. "...in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness." Look, you never wanted to see the Apostle Paul walking down the road and say, "'Hey, Paul, how's it going?' Because it was never going good. He was in constant persecution." Constant pain. So you, you see Paul walking. Hey, Paul, how's it going? Still suffering. Still suffering. And he, God used that suffering to prepare him for the ministry. So after chapter 9, Paul disappears until Acts chapter 13 when he comes back and he's commissioned as a missionary. Between verses 26 and... And verse 27 or verse 26 in chapter 13, depending on who you believe. But between those times is 17 years. God took 17 years to prepare the Apostle Paul after calling him into the, into the ministry. And look, that seems like a long time. But it was common in the Bible. Remember Moses? God called Moses. Said, Moses, I'm going to use you to lead the nation of Israel out of bondage. And then Moses had to go to the backside of the desert for 40 years before God came to him again and said, Okay, now you're prepared. Now you are ready. David is anointed king of Israel. The high priest comes in and anoints David. says, David, here's the oil. You are the king of Israel. But he had to wait 20 years before he got to wear the crown. Joseph, he was told by God that he was going to help lead Israel to greatness, and then he spends 20 years in slavery and jail waiting for God to come through. So Moses had to spend 40 years, David 20 years, Joseph 20 years, Paul had to be 17 years. So what am I saying? Don't waste the time you are in now. God is preparing you for something. Don't waste You're suffering. God's preparing you to be used. Billy Graham said, if I had to do it all over again, I would spend more time in spiritual nature, seeking to grow closer to God so I could become more like Christ. I would spend more time in prayer. I would spend more time studying the Bible and meditating on His truth, not only for separation, but for life. Don't waste the time that God is preparing you in. That's where you learn character. That's where you learn patience that's where you learn to be used by god so we see paul was chosen but unprepared third thing we see is paul was chosen and he suffered if you would use choose one word to describe the apostle paul in those 17 years it would be suffering Again, that's what God told Ananias, he was going, I'm going to use him to reach, I have called him to reach the Gentiles, to reach kings, to reach the Jews, I have called him to suffer. Paul was called to suffering. See, suffering is one of God's primary tools for his people. Doesn't mean that there's something wrong doesn't mean that there's something going on in your life. It means that God is preparing you for his use. God calls Paul a chosen vessel. In the Greek, it's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 4, where he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, the excellency of the power being from God and not for ourselves. See, chosen vessel and earthen vessel, same word. See, here's here's what Paul is saying. Here's what God is telling us. Vessels have no power. Vessels have no worth on their own. They are only used to carry something else. You know, how many of y'all have, a, have Tupperware at home? I hope you all do. How many of you have Tupperware that the tops don't match the bottoms anymore? Yeah. When I was a kid, our Tupperware was like a country crock container. Once in a while, Cool Whip, because we didn't get Cool Whip very often. But that was our Tupperware. But, you know, Tupperware is, is it's, it's pretty worthless. Unless you fill it up with diamonds. Then it's pretty valuable. has no value of its own. It's what is used to carry that gives it power. Until his conversion, Paul saw himself as a capable tool of God. He thought he was able to be used by God to crush this, this Christian movement, this Christ movement. He thought he was able to be used... By God. But God wanted him to become a vessel for God's power, not Saul's power. So God had to humble him. Saul the Mighty had to become Paul the Small so he could be used by God for his power. And it took 17 years of him suffering for him to become a humble, usable vessel. See, reading Paul's epistles, you don't see a proud man. You see a humble man wanting to be used by God. He calls himself the chiefest of sinners. He reminds us the things he knows he should do, that's the things he doesn't do. And the things he knows he should do, that's the things he struggles doing. He reminds me of myself. And he didn't learn that going through triumphs. He learned that through suffering. See, A.W. Tozer said, It's doubtful whether God can bless any man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. See, if dependence on God is the objective, then weakness is an advantage. Weakness is where you learn to operate in the power of God. And suffering gets you in touch with your weakness. Suffering is where God purifies your heart. Suffering is where God strips you of your idols. Look at Abraham. He left everything to follow God. God comes to him in Genesis 12 and says, Abraham, leave your family and go to a place I will show you. Doesn't even tell him where. Just says, hey Abraham, leave everything you know and walk around and when you get to where I need you to be, I'll tell you to stop. Believe everything you know, go to where I'll show you and I'm going to make you a great Nation. So he left everything to follow God. But the problem was when God comes to Abraham, he's 75 years old. He's childless. He has given up hope of ever having children at this point, but he he trusted God. And eventually, God kept his promise and he gives Abraham a son. Now he's 90 at a time, but he gives Abraham. A child. I cannot imagine having a newborn baby at 90 years old. God help me. I'm glad I'm not Abraham. Uh, but so God gives him a child. And so Isaac grows up, and Isaac is the most precious thing to Abraham. He is the fulfilled promise of God. So what does God tell him to do? He says, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, your only son, the promised child, the one you cherish So deeply and so dearly, I want you to take him up on the mountain. I want you to sacrifice him to me. Doesn't give him an explanation. Doesn't give him anything at all. Just says, go up and and sacrifice your son to me. And Abraham obeys him. Now, imagine me and Abraham. Wouldn't you ask God? God, what are you doing? You promised me this son 25 years ago. I just got him. Now you want me to kill it? I know you can do anything, God, but I don't think I can have another kid. I don't think Sarah can handle it. So what, what are you doing, God? Why are you making me go through this? But Abraham doesn't. He just obeys. Now, luckily, through his faith, an angel stops him. But what if that's what God's doing in your life, that you're suffering? What if God is testing you To see if you love him of everything else. Love your health. Love your finances. Love your security. Love your family. God wants to see that you love him over everything else. See, God calls Paul a chosen vessel of his. But he has to suffer because God wants your heart to belong fully to him. God wants us to love him, to trust him over everything. God wants us to call, God calls us first to Him. Then He calls us to a task. See, what God is doing in you, what God is doing in you, is just as significant and just as important as what God is doing through you. We glorify God not by just what we do for Him, but who we become through Him. God is preparing you for himself, and sometimes he does that through pain. The most painful times in your life are going to be the times that God is stripping away idols. See, Paul was chosen, but he suffered. But suffering is never in vain if you trust that God has it for a purpose. See, Paul was chosen by God, but he was opposed He was chosen by God, but he was unprepared. And he was chosen by God, but he had to suffer. If you are a child of God, you are chosen by God to build his kingdom. You're going to be opposed, but so was Paul. So was Jesus. Jesus was opposed while he was on earth. God is going to prepare you, and you're going to suffer to have to bring him glory. But look, Jesus had to suffer. Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, the, the suffering he endured on the cross, yes, it was to pay our sin debt. It was to absorb the wrath of God for us, but it was also so he could be used by God. If he hadn't have suffered and died, he never would have resurrected, and he never would have redeemed us to God the Father. So God wants to use you, but you're going to. be opposed you're going to to have to be suffered so that god can prepare you see god god chose paul to bring the gospel to the lost world and god is choosing you to bring the gospel to the lost people in your life how he uses us how he prepares us doesn't always make sense to us but it makes sense to god we're not to question god Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.